Listener Production. No one's really looking at what it takes to be an entrepreneur and the probability of success. I think the myth is that entrepreneurs control their own time, they have unlimited earning potential, that they're happy-go-lucky risk-takers, they control their future. But the truth is that they often do all of this without any of the benefits that employees get, sick leave, holiday pay. They often deal with greater levels of instability. And actually, if you look at the stats, often their work hours are even higher than that of an employee. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. Sometimes I joke with my colleagues that I'm a mind reader because as people begin their work week, they start to think about the dream of opening their own business, a coffee shop, or their own startup, or their passion project, rather than working for someone else. Many people have been further prompted to rethink the way and why of their work and whether they should be their own boss during and post-COVID. Is the dream of being an entrepreneur potentially a reality? Is the hype about entrepreneurialism just that hype? And what do you really need to do to take the entrepreneurial plunge? Doesn't the world have enough celebrity entrepreneurs already? If this topic resonates with you, we have a copy of my guest's most recommended book on strategy to give away. So keep listening to find out how you get a hold of a copy. And who is my guest? Well, my guest is Jeff Cooper. He's about to drop a few truth bombs for us about being an entrepreneur and incredibly share three top tips I wish I'd known 20 years ago when I started my business. Jeff hasn't applied for a job in 15 years and has had only two employers in 18 years. He retired in 2019 and now sits on boards and not-for-profits and invests while deeply questioning if he should start his next venture after realising that maybe not working is as challenging as working too hard. So welcome to Fast Track, Jeff. What excites you about the entrepreneurial debate? Yeah, well, have you ever shaken up a can of Coke until it's ready to pop? Uh, over the last 20 years, I've asked this question of myself so many times. And in truth, I've had people ask it of me. And I really haven't given them an honest answer and a truthful answer. Uh, so now, today, I'm ready to pop and give that answer. So I've heard you talk about the myth of the hero or celebrity entrepreneur. And in my lifetime, I've seen the celebrity model, the celebrity chef, and now the celebrity entrepreneur. Can we explore this myth of the hero that you want to share with us? Yeah, well, the new celebrity is an entrepreneur. Uh, I got some stats the other day. Elon Musk, very well-known entrepreneur. He has 165,000 searches in Australia in the last month. So if he keeps up that run rate, it's two million a year, right, in a population of 24. Now, if you look at Chris Hemsworth, who's arguably one of our hottest traditional celebrities, Chris just has 135,000. He's also been named Instagram's hottest Australian celebrity. So that really shows us that people like Elon and entrepreneurs are getting more publicity, more heat and more interest than our traditional entrepreneurs. So why is that? Well, I think the get-rich-quick dream is really seductive and 
I guess if you look in any category, that get rich quick message has time and time again really resonated with people around the world. And that's really the dark side of this myth at the moment is that success seems to be everywhere, but no one's really looking at what it takes to be an entrepreneur and the probability of success. So the myth, tell me more about this myth. Yeah, well, kids all over the world are waking up, they study maths and science, and they are now dreaming of being an entrepreneur. And I reckon that's pretty much the same uh, for Australians and people on their way to work. It's interesting though, because in any business venture, we've got to size up the size of the prize, the upside, but also our chance of success. And when it comes to being a business owner, that chance of success, it's not 100%, obviously. I'm keen to understand what is the percentage likelihood of success at some stage in this chat. Yeah. So it's not great. It's a bit of a bloodbath. Uh, The stats in Australia and the US both say you've got about a 10% chance of lasting more than 10 years. And if you dig into those stats, what you actually see is a real struggle along the way with existential threats at every turn. You know, there's businesses dropping out of the race right through that decade. So if 10% are surviving, we've got to ask ourselves what percentage are succeeding. And obviously it's a number much, much lower than 10%. So Jeff, what is the myth of the entrepreneur? Well, I think the myth is that entrepreneurs control their own time, they have unlimited earning potential, that they're happy-go-lucky risk takers, they control their future. But the truth is that they often do all of this without any of the benefits that employees get, sick leave, holiday pay. They often deal with greater levels of instability. And actually, if you look at the stats, often their work hours are even higher than that of an employee. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting one because that's the typical complaint. You know, I'm on contract for 40 hours, but I work so much more. If you actually look at the real life of many entrepreneurs, uh, it starts to make you think of modern slavery. And you've had a personal experience around that, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've had many business ventures, not all of them successful. Um, But I remember one time I was talking with my financial planner and it was one of the many, many moments where I just had enough. And he said to me, Jeff, you chose this. You know, you chose to be a business owner. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's what business ownership is. It's the freedom to work 80 hours a week anytime you want. (laughs) So true. So this idea of a mindset and of a business endeavour, I told you I'm a mind reader on a Monday morning, but actually people don't really realise that weighing up the size of the prize and the probability of success. Tell me the stats. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of a game for the listeners here, right? If I gave you option A, which is the chance of having 100% chance at $100,000, or option B, which is a 50% chance of $250,000. Now, economics tells us that option B is the wiser choice. But of course, in the real world, in the business world, you also have a 50% chance of getting absolutely nothing or more likely ending up with a load of stress and debt. Because you see, life just isn't as simple as economics. In fact, uh, one of my clients, they're a food service business, And when COVID hit, they saw a 95% drop in revenue in five working days. Now, their customers were airlines. They'd spent 12 years building that business. And this is a real reality that hits all the time. That's extraordinary for those people. So in COVID, we've been told we can work from anywhere. 
And I think that has really prompted people to think, oh, if I can work from anywhere, I can create my dream passion project and business. Is that is that true? Yeah, look, there's certainly been a huge number of technological changes that make working from anywhere possible. Um, it's actually, that trend's been around for a really long time. According to the ABS, the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 2010 was a tipping point where for the first time more people left business than went into it. Now, of course, we had all the baseline people leaving, you know, births, deaths, marriages. Mm. But in there was all the solopreneurs, the onlineers, the anywhere is my offices. So they've been leaving in droves for a while. And I think the big tipping point with COVID is, one, we were forced to do it in some ways. And two, a lot of the resistance that traditional businesses had around, how do I manage these people? How do I monitor them? And how do I get performance out of them? Those myths that that wouldn't work were busted because in many cases it did. And we see major brands actually decide that work from home is something they can do into the future. So the dream isn't really a reality, is it? No. Graveyards are full of entrepreneurs. And in fact, even if you look at the businesses that are still in business, one in three of them wants to sell and get out in the next three years. And it's almost up to 50% by the next year. So you've got to ask yourself, if you're thinking about getting into business, why are so many people thinking of getting out? That's a great reminder for people before they take the entrepreneurial plunge. If so many are dropping out in the first 10 years, what about the rest? Well, on average, it's taking 15 years for a business to find stability. And that's a really interesting thought. It's actually longer than the average marriage in our country, which is just on 12.1 years. So it's a really big decision and it's a decision that we should give the same amount of weight to as something like marriage. Okay. Well, I want to know, is it better to be an employee? Uh, How do I know if that's the case before I risk everything as an entrepreneur? Yeah. And look, today for me is really a chance to give some balance to the conversation because there is just so much media hype around being an entrepreneur. It seems like success is everywhere and then of course, it seems like it might be the only option to grow wealth. I mean, we've even got traditional celebrities like Oprah Winfrey, uh, P. Diddy, Magic Johnson going into business ownership, which is really lucky for them because they probably didn't make enough money in their past vocations. (laughs) But the truth is it's probably easier to be a six-figure employee with, you know, $100,000 or more than to be a seven-figure entrepreneur. That's a big call, Jeff. It's easier to be somebody earning six figures than an entrepreneur. Why? Well, entrepreneurs have to deal with the burden of compliance. They have to deal with regulations, uh, tax accounting, employees, payment, a whole bunch of stuff. And the truth is an employee just has less to do in those areas because they're taken care of by the business that employs them. And that leaves the employees time to focus on what they really do and where they add value. What about the money though? Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's not just about the money. It's about what you can do with the money. And so there's a really great example that Tony Robbins gives, right? Now you can say what you like about Tony and he probably doesn't care, but he gives the example of someone putting $300 away between the age of 19 and 27 and then stopping. Now, if that was put into an index fund on 8% a year, which is the average that the market's got over recent times, 
you actually end up by the time of retirement with $1.8 million. Now, if you think about, you know, the typical employee out there, think about yourself. Could you find $300 a month? And even if you're starting a little bit later, could you find a little bit more? And what I find really interesting about that is that on those numbers, on that mass, that's a 47 times return. Now, of course, it uses the magic of compound interest, but if we look at some of even the most astute or arguably the most astute investors out there, VCs, they're looking for this mythical 10-bagger, which is a 10x return. And so I've got to ask, if you're an employee and you like what you do, and you're earning an income that allows you to put away that sort of money, then who really has the better chance and the better risk profile? The employee with more stability playing it safe or the entrepreneur that's playing big might get a lot but might end up with nothing at all. No one ever talks about luck. I've often said I'm lucky and people say, you can't say that, you made it all yourself, Margie. And I go, not really. There was a lot of luck and a fair bit of privilege associated with where I was born, how I was raised, you know, the people I knew growing up. So what about luck? Yeah, well, that's that's a really balanced view, Margie. In fact, behavioural economists have a bias that they've labelled, which basically says, if I get lucky or have success, I'm likely to think that it was to do with me and what I contributed and made happen. However, if I have the opposite happen, maybe my business doesn't succeed, I'm really likely to blame market forces, government regulation, bad luck. It's called the attribution bias, right? But actually, luck's been broken down when it comes to businesses. So there's a one of my favourite, favourite studies was done by McKinsey, And essentially, it looked at over 2,000 of the largest non-financial firms in the US. And it broke down how much economic profit they were making and then graphed that on a line. And what we saw was what's called a power curve. It has a very, very steep descent on the left-hand side, meaning those businesses are losing money or losing a lot of money. It had a very long, flat middle, the body of the market, which says most businesses are either losing a little bit of money breaking even or making a small amount. And then its tail at the end curves up really steeply, exponentially. And that's the businesses, the top quartile, that are actually making profit. Like the afterpays. Like the afterpays and and the major growth businesses. And really, if you simplify all that down, what does that say? Well, it proved that the top 10% of businesses were enjoying 90% of the economic profit. Wow. So it's not even distributed. You can say that another way if you want to be a cynic, which is 90% of the businesses are losing. Right. Now, I'm not here to be a cynic. Obviously, I've been an entrepreneur. I'm questioning whether to do it again. I think it can be really great. Um, But I think if you woke up one morning and said, I want to be an Olympic sprinter, that's fine as long as you know how that might impact your life, your family, your kids, your social life, your diet. Um, So I think it's really important to know what you're getting yourself into. Okay. So- What made them lucky, the ones that get the 10%? Well, that's exactly the point. So you hear right time, right place, which is another kind of way of saying lucky. Once plotted on the power curve, they found that industry was responsible for over 50% of the placement on that curve and the economic profit. In other words, just picking the right industry has the single biggest influence on the outcome. 
because we know some industries are going up, right? And you might ask yourself, which ones are they? But we kind of know it's fintech, it's healthcare, it's been online retail recently. And I think that's a really interesting question. Like of all the strategic questions you could ask yourself, if one of them, and you, and you gave that one question the right answer, if that one question had 50% of your outcome attached to it, it's a really interesting question. Wow. Right. So what's the second thing that you think that we should actually be thinking about in terms of the luck factor? <laughs> well, the second one that influenced luck, which I obviously say tongue in cheek, was geographic and consumer trends. And if we put that together with industry, it's responsible for 80% of your outcome. So you get those two things right and you've put yourself in the best possible position to take the plunge. In other words, right time, right place. And if you then go back to all of your entrepreneurs that are successful, you've got to ask yourself, was there something about them that was amazing and different or did they just pick a great industry that was already on the way up in the right geography? Wow. Well, I've had celebrity entrepreneurs tell me that it's all about execution. Any idea will work, but it's just about the execution. So you're debunking that myth. I'm really debunking that. That and one other one that I'll talk about in a moment. Look, the stats are super clear that this makes a difference. And if you look at business performance and growth, like take the ASX growth uh, by company, you'll find in that too, there's a link to the industry and the geography. You know, the saying is that a rising tide raises all boats. Um, So what we see is that businesses perform for reasons that are actually outside the business. And I think that hard work and execution really comes back to this attribution bias, right? If I succeeded, of course, it was all because of my hard work. But actually, that's a really dangerous way to think about things because we've got 90% of businesses failing in the first 10 years. Now, you can't tell me that they didn't try hard enough, right? And so that brings me to the second myth, you know. Some advice that's not bad advice is to follow your passion. I would say follow your passion provided it's in an industry that's already on the way up and in a geography that's already on the way up. You want to find a wave that's already moving and ride it to the shore. And if you can find that nirvana where your passion overlaps with a successful wave that's already moving, that's the place to start your business. Okay, so I really want to know this tough question I'm thinking of, and it reminds me of the many actors I used to know who used to say to me, oh, I never want my child to be an actor or a comedian. Would you let your child be an entrepreneur, would you? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, I'm currently classed as one right now and I have been for the last 20-odd years and the very high likelihood is that I'd do it again. Even though I know all of this, I'm probably going to do it again. And that's because, you know, I described, I had a consultancy, right? And I described that as having built a gym for myself where I got to go in and train every day. And the truth is that over the 10 years of that consultancy, I gave myself opportunities that other people wouldn't. So I like to believe that against my peers that were employees, I dwarfed them in things like self-expression, ability to earn, um, development personally. And and that really fulfills me. But I don't know if that's the case for sure. Okay. So I think the number one rule here is know thyself, right? Know what you're getting into. Know the implications of that across your life, your family and your work. And just ask yourself whether you're really up for it. Okay. So there's been some really interesting pieces of guidance, but I want some more magic pieces of advice, please, Jeff. And I promise the listeners three, you've done it for yourself 
and you're also doing it for others. So what is the advice before we take the plunge in being an entrepreneur? Well, I think the first thing is don't fall into the trap that the grass is always greener. Uh, It's a very human trait to think that where someone else is is better than where I am now. And if you ask any business owner how they're doing, they'll probably give you quite a hurried and panic answer that says, you know, I'm great, good, perfect. The truth about that is that people don't tend to share how tough they're really doing it. And certainly I've fallen into that trap over the years. So don't think that where you are now isn't the right place to be. And don't think that wealth is out of your reach because of where you are now. The last couple of pieces are think really long and hard about the industry you go in because it's got the biggest impact on on whether or not you succeed. Be really clear on the consumer trend that you're following as the second piece that has large impact. And look further than your passion. Might be the case that you can find a business opportunity that might be adjacent or left of field, but that fundamentally has a better chance of success. Jeff, I've really learned a lot today and I'm curious because my business is about 15 years old and it's been a hard slog and I'm there too. So there's been really interesting points along the way. What about this book giveaway? How do the listeners access that? Yeah, so this is my most recommended book because it shows you which industries have been up, how much they are up and the effects that that's had on their economic profit. It also goes into a lot more detail and depth. So it's a really great read. And it's simple. If they can just comment their best piece of advice on your LinkedIn profile next to the podcast, then by the end of March, March 31st, you and I will pick out the most insightful piece and get them a book. Fantastic. Thank you. So that's Margie Hartley on LinkedIn and the Fast Track uh, reference. So thanks so much. I love it when we get to think and think hard on Fast Track. And you've certainly done that for us today. Really looking forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. My pleasure. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.